and welcome back to Senior Living Simplified. I am your host, Christina Hodak, and today we are going to focus on a topic that is becoming more of an issue for a lot of families that have someone that is dealing with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia, and that is behaviors. Oftentimes, those diagnoses do uh, have an accompaniment from behaviors, and that can be from several different things. It can be verbal behaviors, it can be physically aggressive behaviors, um, and it can be some behaviors that are just a little confusing to you. You don't know why someone is doing something so strange because it's not their personality. The fact is they don't know why they're doing it any longer, and we thought it would be a good idea to invite a specialist in that field to come and chat with us today. My guest today is Mr. Adrian Bledsoe. He is uh, in business development for Mesquite Tree Nursing Center, and he has a solid background in crisis intervention and de-escalation techniques that can be used for behaviors associated with Alzheimer's and dementia and other areas as well. So welcome. We look forward to talking and getting a few tips with you today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So Adrian did come out to Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care in Denton, where I'm the executive director. He recently was there to do a training with our staff and it went over really well. He's very <laughs> hands-on, um, but it was really good for them to uh, get up and be interactive. And even though we deal with different behaviors on a daily basis and get to know our residents, it's never a bad idea to have advice coming from someone that's had a lot of training in that area and can give us some tips and maybe some different tools that we'd never thought about. Uh, these are gonna be some things that if you have a family member at home that's dealing with something of this nature, these are going to be some skills that are transferable. It's not just for a community setting, but you'll be able to try them out yourself. So first, let's just get to know Adrian a little bit and tell us your background. How did you become an expert in crisis intervention? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I would use the term expert loosely. <laughs> uh, I have been in uh, healthcare for the last 25 years. 25 years in healthcare, I've worked every level from uh, geriatric psych, adolescent psych, uh, adult psych, uh, adult uh, addiction and uh, rehab as well. So uh, I became a uh, CPI instructor in 2017. And for those that don't know, can you tell them what CPI means? Uh, CPI is crisis prevention intervention. And uh, it's a transferable skill that enables you to uh, verbally de-escalate a uh, crisis situation, uh, minimal risk of injury to yourself or the patient. Always a good outcome. Always, <laughs> always. Well, what got you interested in the senior end of things with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia? Well, uh, I buried my grandmother in 2019. I'm sorry and to hear um, that. my grandmother was one of the sweetest women that you would ever meet. But of course, with uh, the onset of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, 
you can take the most docile individual because the brain is deteriorating, it could uh, result in them acting out in confusion, mm -hmm. be that verbally or um, physically. So um, I had to watch her go downhill with that. So I made it a mission, I made it a mission to get out there and just educate uh, other facilities or anybody that would listen, really, I'll get out there and shout it in the middle of the highway <laughs> and, you know, just, to get, just to get the message out there. But uh, I think it's uh, very important information for all healthcare providers to know, so. I do too, because, you know, we're seeing more and more people um, with this diagnosis. I'm sure there's a thousand reasons for that, but the fact is it, it is more prevalent mm -hmm. now, and it's gonna be imperative for people to know the proper techniques on how to interact when these, people, patients, family members, friends are going through these moments, what's the most therapeutic way to approach them? Because oftentimes what I've seen in our setting, especially with families more than with staff, because obviously we, you know, we have staff training before they get on the floor with them. But with families, it's very hard to compartmentalize who this patient or person was before dementia mm -hmm. and who they are now. A lot of times families still see them as the person they've always known. And the truth is that person still may be in there a little bit, but they are very different. They aren't acting the same way they would have prior to the onset of the diagnosis. And so they get frustrated often and they think they can still deal and reason with that individual the way they did prior to the diagnosis, mm -hmm. which usually leads to an escalation of that behavior. And it can turn into kind of a tragic event for both parties. Sure. So what is a good tip that you think people at home that are dealing with a family member that has uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, what's a good tip that you can share with them? Well, first of all, I would, uh, I would definitely recommend getting educated, getting educated on, you know, signs, symptoms, and, and things like that. Uh, it's not easy. Like you said, uh, it's, it's not easy to accept the new version of your loved one, which is totally contrast from the person it used to be. Mm -hmm. It's all about acceptance from the, uh, from the family perspective, you know, yeah. their thoughts are steadily disappearing. Yeah, they are. They have moments yeah. where they remember some things, yeah. pieces of it are gone. So sometimes allowing them to be in that moment and go you know, meeting them where they are mm -hmm. is the best case scenario because then that in itself could de-escalate the situation. Limited recall. Yeah. There you go. Limited recall. What if someone is having a behavior and they're maybe being physically aggressive? They're, you know, kicking a, a piece of furniture or maybe they're kicking the wall. Well, sometimes, sometimes when they exhibit that type of behavior, if they're kicking a can or, you know, yelling at the wall or something like that, they may be doing that out of frustration. They're frustrated mm -hmm. and it's an outlet for them. And the one thing that we don't want to do is substitute that wall for something else more destructive. Uh, for instance, 
if you go and you intervene with an individual that's kicking a trash can, for example, and you remove the trash can, they could turn that aggression onto someone else. And you've created yeah. an entirely different crisis situation. Yeah, then it escalates instead of de-escalates. Absolutely. And I think the normal response that most people would have, you know, one, kicking the trash can is probably obnoxious because you hear that repetitive <laughs> kicking. And so that's not great. And two, they think that by trying to intervene and stop them from doing that, it could essentially keep them from harming themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think you kind of have to evaluate the level of danger. <laughs> if it's just kicking a trash can as, you know, they have shoes on, they're not going to break a toe, they're not kicking it too hard, just let it happen. Sure. Just let it happen. Obviously, if they're doing something a little more aggressive where they could be injuring themselves, then you would want to intervene. Is there a particular way that you should approach someone with Alzheimer's or dementia uh, if you are going to try to get them away from something that could be harming them? Is it okay to just come and grab them? Um, oh, gosh, no. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> What's the best way to, to get in there? Uh, view. The, the best thing to do to minimize risk to not only staff, but to the individual as well, if you're going to approach them, make sure you call their name, call them by name and try to get their attention. Always approach from eyesight where they can see you coming rather than coming up from the rear. Yeah. They're already in a heightened sense. So if you walk behind them and you grab them, that could create a crisis situation as well. And we want to avoid that. Um, and we want to remember that we are working with a fragile population. So the slightest grab, you could cause someone to fall. Um, you could cause someone to get injured that way. So we don't want to do that. We want to come from eyesight and always call their name. Try to get their attention however mm -hmm. you can before you go hands-on. Yeah, I think that's very important. A lot of times they forget other people's names, mm -hmm. but they seem to know their name for quite some time. So even if you think they don't, it's always worth a shot oh, sure. to try sure. it. And like you said, just approach them from the, the front because even the peripheral vision is affected mm -hmm. with dementia. They could be blind in one eye. That's true. They could be blind in one eye, but... Um, this is why we always invest time to get to know our residents. So if this individual has a history of acting out or um, yelling or screaming or something like that, and you want to engage with them, for example, if you know that they're blind on their left side, I would come in from the right side where they can see me. Sure. And always call their name. Always try to get their attention. You know, that, that's just, that will be the best course of action. You know, you made a good point when you said, you know, know that person. Mm -hmm. And again, for people that are at home, they know their family member. So there's probably opportunities where you can avoid some escalations and behaviors just by knowing their habits. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know that they hate waking up early in the morning, <laughs> then at all costs, try not to go in and wake them up early because you're going to set the tone for their mood and their demeanor. So, you know, just knowing them is a big deal. Or you know they hate 
apples, you know, don't put an don't apple an out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, all have our, we, we all have our preferences, and they do as well. And one of the traps that we fall into as healthcare providers, we speak to them like they're children. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that they're still adults. These are individuals who may have owned their own business. They're used to running a household. And when we come along and we start to speak to them in a childlike voice or in a childlike manner, that can create a situation as well. That's going to create pushback because they're adults. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to be waking up unless they're ready to get up, you know? Yeah, and like you said, speaking to them in a childlike manner, you know, there's different stages of dementia, Mm -hmm. right? You don't automatically get the diagnosis and then you escalate to end stage. Mm -hmm. So there are several phases and there's a scenario where I had a patient one time who was a mother, had several children, and she had dementia. The children started treating her like the child, which caused her to get significantly agitated. Every time they would come, they would think they were being helpful. They wanted to love and dote on her, but she viewed that as them being kind of demeaning to them, which caused the behavior. When they would leave, she was okay. And (laughs) the family couldn't figure out what was setting her off, and it was them not remembering that she still had enough of herself present to know that I'm your mother, you're not my mother. Absolutely. And she wanted to, you know, remain the mom and the matriarch of the family. And once we had a discussion and, you know, we, we always try to guide the family. We don't ever tell them what they can and can't do. We Mm -hmm. just try to give them what our observations are. If we see a situation that's kind of going south and we can intervene and they take our feedback and they did in this case and they felt better when they came to visit because it was a better visit for the kids. It was a better visit for mom. When they left, she was still in a good mood, which means it's also a better visit for the staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, listening to people, taking tips from all areas is very helpful because there's no rule book on how to navigate Alzheimer's and dementia because everyone is so different yes. and we don't know what all is going on in each person's mind, what they do, what they don't know. Well, you're right. Uh, the, all dependent on the individual. It could either happen, happen rapidly or it can happen slowly. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen both sides. So I know you're also involved in something that helps to de-escalate behaviors, and that is some music therapy. Oh, yes. So a buddy of mine, he and I, we work with uh, OBM Network, and uh, we have a Power of a Positive playlist. And what that is, we, we explore different types of music as it relates to certain behaviors. For instance, if I get in traffic right now, my playlist would probably be something laid back and mellow because I know (laughs) it's going to take me probably to this time tomorrow to get home. Yeah, because we're coming up on rush hour. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at traffic right now (laughs) in the window. So uh, I already know I have a playlist in my head uh, versus listening to speed metal while sitting in traffic. 
course, my demeanor and my behavior and my tolerance level was probably going to be just a little bit different. You know, it's going to be a little shorter. Yeah, a little more amped. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. About ready <laughs> to pull the steering going. wheel out of the column, you know. But when it comes to our seniors and uh, some of the things that I've seen as far as Alzheimer's and dementia, we play a, a block of music between uh, 1950s and 1980s, somewhere in that range mm -hmm. there. You play that on a loop in your facility and I'm, you're pretty much guaranteed to play one song that triggers a recall. Yeah. Someone that's probably hasn't danced in years that may trigger a recall of a happy event that they had when that song came out. So we, um, we, we promote those sorts of things. Um, music, music heals and it soothes someone that's in mental crisis mm -hmm. for someone with high anxiety. You play soothing music, maybe, um, maybe some classical music or, um, uh, something easy listening, you know, for someone that's, um, suffering with depression or something like that, um, we would recommend, you know, get up and upbeat music, dance music, you know, we would get them up, get them moving, get them motivated and whatnot. You know, a little Bruno Mars, you know, yeah, something happy like playlist. that. Absolutely. Clean the house playlist. Absolutely. <laughs> when you're shuffling around the house with your broom and you're just getting after it, you know? Yeah, setting the mood, it, you're right, it sets the tone. And especially for a de-escalation situation, if you put on something like a classical or mm -hmm. acoustic type music, it's not something that's blatantly obvious mm -hmm. for the resident, but it will start to ease the tension. It may not be instantaneous. Sure. But yeah, it certainly can't hurt. That's something people can do at home. If you have a family member that is suffering with that, they're getting anxious, just put on some music in the background. Do sure. A power of a positive playlist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. Um, I would suggest running it on a loop. For instance, uh, I've, been in, I've been in some facilities soon as you walk in the front door, there's uh, like 60s music playing. Um, I was over in uh, South Dallas the other day. And as soon as you walk in the door, you hear some Chuck Berry. <laughs> you hear Chuck Berry and you walk down, uh, I think that was 100 Hall, their 100 Hall. And you've got patients, they're singing along. I mean, they're just bebobbing along. I remember that song when I was this age and this age, that's happiness for them. Yeah. They've accepted this is where they are in this stage of life. Just give me a nugget of happiness. You never know what, uh, what genre of music they listen to in that time block. But if you give them the options, I would even recommend, um, from an activity standpoint on like Mondays and Fridays, just go by and, uh, just take a poll. Hey, uh, we're going to rotate the music tomorrow. What would you like to listen to? It gives them that nugget of happiness. Yeah. And even if they can't recall, you know, the family does. Yeah. Family mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. That's something that we do at Sage Oak when they move in, mm. we try to get like a very detailed list from the family of who were they prior to them coming here? What were their habits? What did they like? Mm -hmm. What did they dislike? And that can help a whole lot. Just really knowing the history of a person. 
that alone can de-escalate a situation pretty quickly if you can tap into something that that they enjoy music especially mm -hmm. it's amazing to me on the residents that i've had and have now um, that have been musicians in one way or another either they're a singer or they play piano or they they played an orchestra instrument they may not remember how to dress themselves anymore they may not remember the names of some of their family members but they still remember how to play that instrument or Absolutely. the lyrics to a song mm -hmm. uh, the brain is amazing at how that works but they, they all find joy i haven't had one person that was musical in their past that didn't find joy out of doing that even after they've forgotten most things. That's their nugget of happiness. It That's is. That's one thing you never forget. Yeah. And it's also happiness for the families when they see that because for a moment in time, the family sees who they were and they're back to being that person. Mm -hmm. And it helps us, it helps us as facilitators to be more proactive when we get, you know, new patients in facility. For instance, we get a set of clinicals before this individual comes to mm -hmm. the facility, right? So let's just say that um, this individual has a history of aggression, um, very low toleration with anyone, right? So looking at that set of clinicals, that gives us enough time and that kind of gives us a structure where we can put a game plan in place before the person comes in. I'd reach out to the family, hey, what type of music did they listen to? Mm -hmm. I would have an individualized approach and I would have that one nugget of happiness available for them for when they step foot in the facility. Oh yeah. They're like Elvis. Let's put a iPod in his room and have Elvis playing when he moves in. Yeah. That can be a game changer. Sure. Sure. People sure. want to feel heard and welcomed and appreciated. Mm -hmm. Families love it when that happens as well. And what does that look like? They move into this brand new place. You're playing their favorite music. And this individual doesn't even know you. They're moving into this brand new space and they hear their favorite song. The family's bringing their things in and it helps with transition as well. Yeah. So when it comes to behaviors, we can curve the behavior before it even starts. Yeah, that's a, a great tip. Do everything you can on the front end to curb that mm -hmm. behavior from ever surfacing. You're not always going to be able to do that. The reality no. is sometimes behaviors occur and we don't have any explanation. Um, however, when behaviors do occur, we also train our staff that, that that indicates there is a need that needs to be met mm -hmm. that is currently not happening and they may not be able to express that need. So it's coming out as a behavior, but maybe they're thirsty. Yeah, maybe they're hungry. Maybe they need to use the restroom. Mm -hmm. So just start going through that, you know, hierarchy of needs <laughs> until you find it. And when you do, then sometimes that alone will stop the behavior and you don't have to try all these crazy techniques. Maybe just try meeting their needs first. <laughs> well, sometimes we have to put our detective hat on. That's true. <laughs> and it takes a lot of communication as well, you know, with them, you know, like you said, what, what do you need? What can I get you? Mm -hmm. What can I get you? And again, it all falls back to um, knowing our residents, knowing what they like. 
if you've already established that from the time they move in, you can always loop back around and use it. Hey, you remember that song that you were listening to when we moved in? Hey, I heard you liked Elvis. We've got music time down in the hallway. I know right now you seem a little stressed, but we got uh, Elvis time down here in the activities hall down here. Why don't you come and sit with us and, and talk with us? Yeah. You want to keep them engaged as much as possible. Because again, they're giving up everything to move in to a strange place with strange people, strange environment, strange bed. And we want to help kind of smooth that transition out. So. You hit on another good point, which is keep them as busy as possible. Mm -hmm. The more interactive you can have them, the less likely they are to be able to get into a state of being anxious because they don't understand what they should be doing, what is going on. Um, so keeping activities going and that's going to be situational, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes with dementia, you need to keep them active. There does become a point in which too much activity can also cause sure. the behavior. So it's hard to give a just clear cut instructions for anyone at home. You do kind of have to make sure you know your family member or loved one and where they are in their stage because not all of this advice is going to be transferable for everyone. Mm -hmm. But in earlier stages, keeping them active, uh, giving them purpose seems to curb behavior. Late stage, it seems to exacerbate or increase mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. behavior. So just being in tune and truly meeting them where they are Absolutely. seems to be the best option. You know, I loved when you came and did the training for the staff at Sage Oak. I think the best thing was getting them interactive because it's one thing to tell people what to do. It's another thing, especially with staff, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And getting them up on their feet and involved. Um, he had me playing a resident <laughs> with <the> Alzheimer's. <laughs> so they loved that. They got to you did good. herd me around <laughs> the community and figure out what my behavior was about. <laughs> you did good. But that that's so important to give them a real life application where you're not using an actual resident. We don't want to train sure. on actual residents, but we do want to give them that opportunity to have that experience. So I would say if anyone is looking out there and if you have an assisted living or memory care community and you need some training for your staff, we're going to give you the contact information here for this guy. And he would be a Trouble. wealth of information <laughs> for the staff. And he makes it so much fun to, you know, so many times at work, you have to sit through these trainings mm -hmm. and they're not always the most exciting. They're necessary, but that doesn't mean necessary is exciting. <laughs> Hands-on approach is the best. It is. Especially when it comes to that. So. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Well, I think that between your techniques that you've taught everyone and the tips on the powerful uh, play, a positive playlist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need one. <laughs> we all need one. But those are great tips that you guys can use at home if you are dealing with someone now that has had a recent or current diagnosis of Alzheimer's and dementia. 
if you are looking for a location, if you have exhausted your time with being able to care for them at home, you can always reach out to me at Sage Oak. We would love to talk to you and your family about finding placement and see if we're the right fit. We are certified in memory care and we continuously train our staff with folks just like Adrian here. So Adrian, thank you so much for coming out and talking with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, hopefully we'll see more of you in the future. Bring me back. I'm only a, th a stone's throw away. We will definitely do that. You guys have a wonderful afternoon. And thank you again for spending time with us on Senior Living Simplified. Mm -hmm.